Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, friends. This week's episode of Rom Crime is brought to you by Vanya Arslanian's new podcast. Connecting the thoughts, conversations during the pandemic. Listen anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Vanya. I'm the ROM. Hi, everyone. I'm Avrin, and I'm the crime, and this is ROM Crime. This is our true crime comedy podcast that has... Romantic hammerings. <laughs> I knew that's what you were going to say. You did. I know. I wanted to I do did. something with real estate because that's more interesting to me, but the hammerings just makes more sense. Yeah, for um, sure. But I want to remind everyone, if you have just tuned in and this is your very first ROM Crime episode, hey, this podcast is about love and crime however you want to spin that shit together you know absolutely it's usually kind of about how love gone wrong leads to crime yep sometimes it's about love gone right leads to double suicide homicide or like crazy bank heists where they run from the law together and it's kind of sexy it's Mm -hmm. all the things or it's it's about crimes Yeah, exactly. Or or it's about love, no love, and just bumping Uggs, which is making love in a different way, criminally. I don't know. So God bless. Welcome. Criminally. I love it. Criminally. Making love criminally. That's what we aim to bring you every week. Something that makes you feel like you've made love criminally. Yeah, it's exciting. Today we're recording this podcast. It's April 27th, 2020. We have been on not lockdown, but like, let's call it a soft lockdown, like a semi, like a semi-erection lockdown since March 13th. So we're all here. Yeah, we're here. We're We're still in it. Yep. So Av, uh, we did this last week. I think it's fun. And I, let's do it again. Two, what did we, what did we call it? Two yays and a yuck? Two yays and a a, a suck. But I kind of think two yays and a yuck sounds good. Yeah. So Um, do you have any in your... Oh man, okay, I did not think about this, but it's okay. <laughs> I didn't plan, even though I was Improvise. Like, Let's do that again. So I will say that uh, my yuck from last week was like, government sucks. I didn't get my stimulus check. I don't know what's right. going on. I can't get anyone on the phone. Well, this week, I finally, like, unemployment came through. Price for both me. I mean, that's going on. How long did you say? I, I filed Since a- March 13th, I think. Right. I believe I filed uh, a one week after that. So your last shift was on the 12th, right? 
well, it was supposed to be on the 12th and got canceled. Oh. And then I went out of town like a super smart girl the next day. But at <laughs> that point, you know, how are you to know? How are you to know? It started to seem serious, but it, I still wasn't, I just wasn't really all that certain of exactly what was going on. And mm -hmm. I knew that people were being advised, you know, not to do anything unnecessary, but I felt like attending my nephew's baptism was necessary. So to me, I was like, well, I'm going to go unless they tell me I can't go. So yeah. I flew, you know, into the, the heart of it all, New York City. Yeah. I'm fine. I haven't had, I mean, as far as I can tell, since I've returned, I have been in isolation with my husband and my dog with zero symptoms and hopefully will remain that way. Yeah. But, but that's one of my yays. So I, I actually got, we were start, I was starting to freak the, freak the fuck out. Like yeah. rent is due. In and, a week or less. Yeah. And I, we didn't really know exactly. I mean, luckily, well, I'll, I'll let that be my yay number two. Yeah. Luckily we are living in a place where the the property managers, I, I guess our landlords, so to speak, they seem to be incredibly understanding. They're great at communication. So they immediately, once this all went into the real shit, they yeah. got, they reached out and they said, Hey, listen, there's a lot of misinformation about like, you don't have to pay your rent. Like we, that's not true, but we can work with you if you have been affected financially or physically by COVID-19 and you need to go on a payment plan. You need to defer rent for a month. You need to blah, 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 blah. Right. So I had, have been in contact with Judith, our property manager, and she's been so wonderful and so oh, understanding good. and constantly reassuring me that we will work something out because I haven't received my stimulus. It, I applied for um, freaking unemployment, you know, five weeks ago and just got it like two days ago. So it came through when it matters, and that's why that is yay. Mm -hmm. And Judith, thank you for being a badass, awesome lady who doesn't suck. That's yay number two. And then <laughs> my my yuck. You know what? It's just um, I've been having nightmares, and I'm not somebody that's ever suffered from nightmares, and my nightmares are really specific. So as if you're a listener to this podcast, you know, I don't have kids, but I have a dog who is like my child, my little Brody, my little Australian shepherd. He's so cute. Angel, if you will. And I have been having, it's been at least, at least two times, if not three times now, where I've had these incredibly real intense nightmares that something horrible happens to him right in front of me. And I can't stop it. It's like, I try to, but I just, in my dream, I can't. So like the last one was a coyote situation. It was horrible. I've woken up in hysterical, like tears both times. My husband feels so bad. He's, I have to give him props too. So he's my third yay. He's always my number one yay, but he, <laughs> but he like, he's been really good. Like he, he, you know, he holds me, he lets me cry. He tells me everything's okay. Oh he always gosh. makes sure the dog gets brought on the bed so that I know he's fine, but that's new for me. You know, I don't, I've never been somebody I think that, or at least was aware that I was having like anxiety induced dreams. And yeah. clearly I'm stressed about, or I'm just in, in general, like I'm scared about everything. And so it's manifesting itself really shitty in my sleep. No, I get it. That's I'm, I'm a person who definitely has had anxiety dreams and things like that, but yeah, I'm sorry. That's so not fun. Yeah. What about you? What are your two yays and a yuck? Well, let's see. Start with some yays. Oh, okay. So yay, I was able to get a uh, delivery of food, which was awesome. And I got, uh, uh, so that's one yay. This is going to be sort of 
silly. But my second yay is I just I discovered so we've been doing so much, so many dishes. It's making me crazy. I'm just like, I'm like, I need to get like some paper plates, but then I like, we got some paper plates and they were huge. And I felt like we were just wasting and it was just annoying the crap out of me. And then it, they were gone. So I discovered you can get these hundred percent recycled materials. They're like hot dog holder little things. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, and I got like 250 of them. They just arrived yesterday. And so now with the kids, I can just give them their food because they don't eat anyways. It doesn't matter. I could put like sandwiches. I could put everything in that little hot dog holder thing. And then when they're done, I just toss it and don't feel guilty. That's I'm awesome. sure there's a reason to feel guilty about it somehow. But for me, that is a damn yay. I mean, less, less dishes to wash. Oh, good Lord. Let's see. My yuck is I... It's a little bit to do with sleeping as well. I cannot sleep once I, so I'm exhausted by the end of the day when I'm putting the kids to bed. And then when it comes to where they are actually sleeping, I just go, I get wired. I get like a third wind and I'm like ready to party and I can't sleep until late. So then I, so the last, honestly, last two weeks, I've been getting five to maybe six hours of sleep. Right. Which that's no good, you know, in the mm-hmm. long run for like you, like sleep is important. They keep saying, yeah. you know, everything you see and read about like Immunity. how to take care of yourself. It's important. Yeah. For your immune system. It's also important for your mental health. Yeah. So, um, I got some, uh, melatonin and I got some, some sleepy time tea. So I'm going to try that out. Nice. It's just that when I do get those like, sort of like, uh, urges, it's kind of fun at first, and then it's not fun at the end where I'm like, God damn it, I just want to go to sleep. Yeah, I hear you. So you guys, te- text us. I mean, email us, DM us. Tell us what your two yays and a suck are because yeah, we're all I having like them. Two yays and a yuck. And if you are enjoying um, the part of this podcast that has clearly turned into, like, how are you surviving <laughs> this strange, bizarre new world? You absolutely, I know we already mentioned it, but check out Vanya's um, new podcast, Connecting the Thoughts, because it's so good. And it's just so cathartic to hear the conversation. I like that it's the same questions, but with a different response. Yeah. And every single one of them so far that I've listened to, I'm only one behind, but they're so good. So check that out. And then, yeah, I would, I think that'd be really fun, actually. Like, start leaving us messages um, when we post this on social media. Like, what are your two yays and a yuck for this? And we'll read it off. We'll read yeah. it on, on air. Absolutely. Oh, that's even better. I wasn't even going to say that. Yeah. Like, we'll read it. We'll look at it and we'll like it. No. <laughs> but no, we'll share it. Exactly. Even better. You guys, so, this, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, you go. I was just going to say this week, we're doing something that's close to our house. So that's we're covering right. the Los Feliz Murder Mansion or Murder House. Yes. And I want to give a shout out to my sister-in-law, Jenny. Because if not for her, I would not have known about this. Yay, Jenny. She and I share a love of the true crime, of the of the morbid, of the paranormal, if you will, even. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I like true crime and I love that I've brought you into this journey, but I know that like the horror movie of it all is yeah. not necessarily your jam still. And I love all of it. And this is kind of fun because it's one, we live right here. Yeah, it's close. It's within I mean, a walking distance ish, I guess. But it is like a mansion and we do not I mean not that I I mean I wish I lived in a mansion, but we don't live in mansions. I live in an apartment complex with like thousands of other people. I, and I live in 
similar situation. Um, so the Los Feliz murder house is a Spanish revival mansion designed by Harry E. Weiner. Weiner. Anyway, it's a very famous architect. <laughs> totally a Weiner. Uh, and so this, the home was a beautiful home. Um, I'm going to talk about the home first as like a, a, a character in this. It is. It's like one of the main characters. Right? So the first floor, it is, right? So the first floor has had a gorgeous tiled entrance. And on the sides of it were glass, like a glass conservatory, which amazing. It had a huge living room, a den, a dining room, and a breakfast room and a kitchen. Gorgeous. Second floor. I mean. Four, four master bedrooms with three bathrooms. Although I would say a master usually has a bathroom. So in my mind, there would be four bathrooms. But anyways, big ass rooms. Everybody's rooms are on the second floor. Third floor, top floor, had a huge ballroom that measured, I don't know. It was huge. It was massive. And it also had a bar in it. I mean, I need to have this house. I love to throw parties. I mean, this oh my is God. sad. Co- COVID-19 makes me so sad because you know, Abrin, you know, I love to have parties and this is like makes me sad i love to i love to come to your parties and can you imagine what you could do with a freaking third floor ballroom slash bar where you could set up your own club basically yes it would be we'd get so so much trouble we would so much let's hope that we would be super wealthy but we would you know what if we had it we would have like the coolest like musicians playing and the best drinks and dancing and there'd be all sorts of fun activities maybe maybe some burlesque i don't know we're just gonna be real good anyways there were also staff quarters definitely some cornhole yeah yeah we got cornhole but it's called glitter cornhole so we just like (laughs) we bedazzle the whole thing which actually now that i'm saying it is a great idea and i think i'm gonna do that tomorrow because we have a cornhole and i have a ton of yes I also have a ton of sequins. Anyways, I'm going to make it happen. I'll, I'll show oh, you I love it. Pictures. Adam will be so mad. Um, <laughs> uh, there was also staff quarters as well. But okay, so to get into our other characters, the family that lived there. So they were not the first occupants of the home. They, they bought the home around 1950. Dr. Harold Perelson was born in 1909. He was of Russian and Polish descent. Um, an immigrant or first generation, his parents were immigrants. Um, he married a woman who was also first generation named Lillian. He went to high school and I guess right after high school, he was so smart that he went straight to medical school. I'm not, I guess back then, if it's, if he's born in 1909, when he's 18 or who knows, maybe 16 when he goes it's not, it's early. So maybe they didn't have like the normal trajectory, but he was very, very smart. He was a specialist in cardiothoracics, injections and allergies or allergens, allergies. Yeah. So those were his specialties, but so we could have used him like today. Yeah, totally. We could have. Well, he, he, so he had been, he was always trying to like be the best and whatever, you know? Um, and he created this invention is the word that I wanted. He had a, an invention where he was, cre- he created this hypodermic needle that basically, this is the word that we like to use when I don't know exactly what to say, but it's like you had the medicine, it somehow transferred the medicine into the needle without any 
air getting into it. Something, something along those lines. When I, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. When I was, when I was reading a little bit about the invention, it kind of reminds me of what you see today. Whenever you see doctors like stick the needle in like almost looks like a paper top on a vial and then they suck it out Yes. from that so that like there's no air, there's no yeah. way to contaminate is basically he kind of invented that right right but someone stole something it. like it mm-hmm. something like it i don't think it ever actually got off the ground so 1938 he created this thing took him 11 years to kind of get it to go get it going and then he meets with this guy who who's gonna like market it get it to market or whatever basically the guy steals his money i mean it's i could go on about it but it's kind of boring this guy is a con man they made it a verbal agreement let's just make note everybody get that shit and writing. Get uh, it notarized. He, he did not. And Harold sued the guy and he had put, so back then between him and Lillian, his wife, who had taken her own $7,000 out, put about $24,000, $25,000 into it. And then with all the legal fees, they spent way more. But in the end, the judge awarded him 24000 basically. And he was sad because he spent all his money and he was broke. He was going broke. The man was going broke. And the guy straight up stole his invention, right? I mean, it's kept bullshit, it for himself. Yeah. yeah. They say like people who knew him, you know, most people of, of what the research I did who knew him said he was like a mild mannered, quiet dude. But after he lost all the money, he became very negative and sad. Apparently before that, he was like somebody who was like, I'm going to save this world. I'm going to help people. So he, he kind of like started reading dark books and men- mentally he went downhill and he, so he had on his uh, record, his medical record, he said it showed that he had like three coronaries and in reality, what people found out was they were actually suicide attempts. They weren't coronaries. Um, the guy was real stressed out. He also uh, tried, he was so, so strapped for cash that, I mean, they're living in this huge house that they moved into. He has three kids, Judy, Debbie, and Joel, I want to say. Judy was 16 years old and she was driving her two younger brother and sister, um, like just on Vermont street and gets T-boned or something like this from another car. And he sues and all the kids suffer like all sorts of weird damage and stuff like that. Um, but he sues the driver and he's thinking he was suing the driver for $20,000 for each one of his kids. And I think in his mind, he was thinking, okay, thank it. We'll get that money. And then that'll put me back. And yet now they just gave him enough money to cover their medical expenses. And so from that moment on, after the losing the money with the invention and then his kids, he just went darker and darker and darker. And they tell, they tell you a little bit about Judy. Um, she's 18 at the time of this whole thing goes down. So she went to Barrington's high school. Apparently she was super popular. They, a neighbor um, girl sort of uh, describes her as, you know, the girl who has it all, like had ma- like piles of shoes, had every, every outfit, anything she ever wanted. And I think that this family was living large and maybe living, well, not maybe, but living beyond their means. Like, for example, the coronavirus happens, people lose their jobs. You don't keep buying shoes unless you want super intense pressure and maybe it might make you do something bad because you don't have the money to do that. Yeah. Right. Immense debt. Immense debt. Immense debt, which all is that- a lot of pressure. 
and a lot of stress. And so I think I'm going to leave, leave it there. Yeah. All right. So we got a, a, a stressed out cardiologist with a, several suicide attempts under his belt, whose family is continuing to spend money they don't have. And that's going to bring us to December 6th of 1959. Thank you, Vanya, for letting me get to do. Oh, I'm, I'm happy that you get, thank you for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 4.30 a.m., as I mentioned, on December 6th, 1959. Cardiologist Harold Perelson goes downstairs. He's, he's been in bed sleeping next to his wife, Lillian, goes downstairs, and he grabs a ball, or sorry, a ball-peen hammer. I'm not sure what a ball-peen hammer is. I just it's, assume it's like a big one. It's a hammer that has like a little ball on the end. I mean, it's almost, it's smaller than the big. Oh, okay. But it's not like a flathead one. It's like got a, a, a ball in front. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's still dull, but I think, and if I'm wrong, all y'all carpenters out there, <laughs> DM us, thank you so much. Let us know. We'll, we're, we're totally open to constructive criticism. All right, so he goes downstairs and he grabs a ball-peen hammer. He then walks back up to his bedroom and he beats, like he hits Lillian with this hammer in the head. Very, very very violently and hard <clears throat> and he leaves her there to die which she does but not from ugh, i'm sorry i some, i almost didn't i actually didn't write this down because i was like no need to get into it i think, it. You gotta I think, know it. It. I think, I think it's kind of part of the story so she doesn't actually die from the blow to the head she dies because she she asphyxiates on her own blood as she's clearly bleeding profusely from this huge wound what a jerk yeah. So after he does that, he then makes his way to his teenage daughter, Judy, who we mentioned, 18-year-old Judy's room, where he then like strikes her with this hammer. But unlike with Lillian, I don't know if it's, they say a lot of things about like his, everything would have been like slick with blood. Maybe his eyes would, you know, he would have had like blood splatter in his face, but he basically doesn't land the blow. Mm -mm. And Judy wakes up and she screams like bloody murder. She's like, don't kill me. Half the neighborhood claims to have heard her. He tells her to lay still. Then her sister Debbie comes in and he's like, oh, go back to sleep. You're just having a nightmare. And in that moment, while he's like trying to get the little kid to go away, Judy somehow manages to run out of the room. She runs to her mom, sees the shape her mom is in, and then still screaming like a bat out of hell, runs to the neighbors. and banging on the door screaming the whole neighborhood apparently woke up so back at the house now both joel and debbie are awake and terrified and confused and basically harold's like this is a nightmare just go back to sleep but whatever his horrible intentions towards his entire family were he kind of decides fuck this let's just move on to the finale of it all so judy goes to the neighbor they call the cops and then they go back to the house where the neighbor, and I don't know why I didn't write his name down. I want to say like Russell, but that might've been a last. Was it Marsh? Marsh. Marshall? It was Russell Marsh or Marshall. Oh. Marshall. I bet it's Marshall. <laughs> anyway, he, they go back to the house. They go inside. Marshall's like, what the F man, you know? And Harold just tells him like, leave me alone. Like get out of my way. It's, goes into the bathroom and like shuts him the door. And then um, while in the bathroom, he takes 
two doses of Nembutol and 31 small white pills believed to be either codeine or powerful tranquilizers. And Harold was dead before the ambulance arrived. And then I looked it up. So Nembutol is the drug um, pentobarbital sodium, which is a narcotic and sedative barbiturate formerly used to relieve insomnia. So like a powerful. So that's what I should take? Probably. <laughs> but just don't combine it with like 31 small white tranquilizers. So anyway, Harold then comes out of the bathroom. Sorry, I'm backtrack. After taking the pills, goes out of the bathroom, lays on the bed next to his um, now deceased wife, Lillian, and passes away, still holding the hammer in his hand. What a jig off. So that is the true horror story of the Los Feliz murder mansion. And we should mention that evening, his wife, because it was December 6th, and they had a Christmas tree up, and his wife was, like, wrapping presents. Just the important yeah, factor. Like, normal, normal life was happening. You know, one of the few neighbors um, at the time who they can still get to, like, answer questions about this was 14 years old at the time, but she babysat the two younger children all the time and was actually supposed to babysit them the following evening. Um, and so life was supposed to be going on as usual. And then um, real quick, before we just continue on with the story, I find this concept, so it's called familiacide, right? Which is somebody who murders their family. But it's also referred to, I think, in a lot of like FBI profiler terms, which I really like to consider mm -hmm. myself up to date with, like family annihilators. And so there is something about the family annihilator that I just can't wrap my brain around. I did some research into it, and it's typically almost always men, almost always white men in their 30s or 40s. And it is almost always brought on by financial stress or sometimes like mental breakdowns. And it also almost always ends in suicide. So for those like total true crime murderinos out there that know all of the things, the most famous, I think, case of a family annihilator was John List. Do you, remember, do you know who John List is, Juan? I don't. So John List in 1971 murdered his wife, two sons, his daughter, and his mother in their mansion in New Jersey. Whoa. And because he had planned it so far in advance, he had like canceled all like delivery services. He had contacted the school and said they were going on extended holiday. So it was well over a month after he killed his family that their bodies were discovered. And he left a note saying that he had killed them. Hold on, I wrote it down. He'd killed them because of financial problems and a sense that his children were becoming immoral. But he managed to evade a police for like two decades. And the only reason he was caught is his story was featured on um, Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, Unsolved some, Mysteries. Yes. And some really incredible like forensic, um, I'm trying to think of the, maybe anthropologist is the right word, forensic anthropologist, was able to take photos of young John List and then create a 3D sculpture of what wow. his face would look like 20 years later. And it was so spot on that people who watched this, who knew now other name guy, who just happened to be John List, totally like called in and they were like, I know that guy. That's my neighbor, Wayne, or whatever. And he was caught. Where was he living? But it's one of, he was, I think he was in Florida. Oh, but I might, I just, I might be making that part up, but I feel like he was in Florida. Um, but anyway, it's one of those, it's, this is like a weird 
there is a type of person in the world that when faced with financial ruin and whatever it is that in their brain accompanies that, so whether mm-hmm. or not it's embarrassment, whether or not it's a perceived failure, that their response is to take out their entire family. And I yeah. just don't get that. Yeah, I don't either. Makes like, no sense to me. Just, I mean, I never want to say kill yourself, but like, why do you got to take them with you? Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, it's funny. I made a joke to my brain when I was listening, while I was doing this is like, you know, one of the questions is why did they kill Judy, the oldest one and not the other two? And probably the answer is that she wasn't, he didn't actually kill her fully, you know, he didn't try to kill the other two. But I laughed because, you know, maybe she was part of the problem of like buying all the shoes, <laughs> you know. Totally. And then I think there's also like that school of thought that when Judy was unsuccessful and woke up and then woke up the whole household, it's yeah. much different to it. I mean, it, it it's much different to attack sleeping people than like fully wide awake yeah. people. And I think that because she managed to get away, Hopefully that saved the other two. I mean, I, mean, I think so. Was, yeah. All right. So we've come to now that happened. Yeah. So Vaughn, you want to oh, tell wait, us wait, there's bit? one more thing that I found interesting about this. Because normally people leave like a note, like a suicide note. And he didn't leave a suicide note. Apparently he had been reading Dante's, uh, what is it? Don- not Dante's Inferno. Is that what it is? I know. Oh, the div- sorry, the, the, the Divine Comedy, Dante's Divine Comedy. And the plot of this comedy, uh, of it is not a comedy, as we know, um, is, is basically a man generally assumed to be Dante himself is miraculously enabled to undertake an ultra-mundane journey, which leads him to visit the souls in hell, purgatory, and paradise. So it's basically like you have to go to hell to get through, yada, yada. And so the book was found on the nightstand, um, and Harold highlighted this passage. It was Canto One, and it was, Midway upon the journey of our life, I find myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward path has been lost. I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, it's an asshole saying, I can't see a way out, and so I'm taking everybody down with with me, basically, right? Yeah, I think so. And that's, I mean, as far as a suicide note, I think that's pretty much... He didn't yeah. necessarily have to write anything, but he was like, here's why. Yeah. I didn't see a way forward. Yeah. I don't know. It's that thing, talking about the idea of the pressure and stuff like that. It's like, can you just not see paring down and everyone moving to a trailer park somewhere? I mean. Or just a modest house instead exactly. of a giant mansion. I don't know. Like, yeah. I think, I think there's something too about the idea of, you know, this is still what, 1959. So we haven't moved mm-hmm. away from like the American dream where everybody has a home and 2.5 or three kids in this case and everything's supposed to you know and the wife is like perfect and cooks dinner every night and the kids are well behaved and they don't spend money they don't have on shoes and all the you know this like thing in their brains about what everything is supposed to be and how that just like clearly I mean I think you can still see it today absolutely concept that concept of what we think we deserve or we're owed as Americans um, and that American dream. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to strive for, of course, but I think like, sure. especially in, let's just, let me just go here. Haters yeah. hate on me because Lord knows I'm gonna be like, and then the white man who sucks <laughs> and he's always had all the power and he thinks he deserves to keep it always. And if he, you know, if he feels like embarrassed or like a failure, his response is to murder 
the children and like woman in his life and it just makes me ragey but mm. i do think there is something that was kind of deeply embedded into the psychology of the um, of the 1950s american male that was like you you succeed you get the american dream and then you live this beautiful life and when you have it and you lose it or you feel like you're gonna lose it mm -hmm. some like psychosis there or like some kind of mental break yeah okay well what about the whole thing about toxic mass masculinity uh, and the patriarchal you know society it's like we're even still today in 2020 we're trying to get away from some of that because you know what guess what men have we're all the same it's you don't we don't have to hold men to this standard of like it's just different you know like we all want to i'm not saying poor men but i'm saying a lot of that pressure to be the breadwinner to be all those things is still there a little you know it's of course yeah and, and, it's like ingrained yeah. it's a patriarchal society right like we haven't unfortunately we haven't moved beyond that yet where it's like all human beings are equal therefore there is no patriarchal or matriarchal society yeah. there it's just like a society and just um, to go no 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 go I was just going to say, and just to go one step further um, about like mental illness, let's say he's been, you know, let's say he's felt, had ups and downs as a, as a younger person and never, ever was able to get that looked. And actually that is something apparently right before this went down, he caught wind that his wife and maybe a couple of his doctor friends were going to try to have him committed. So that could have been like the impetus of him ruining everybody's lives as well but the idea that like it wasn't okay to be like i'm feeling this way you can't talk about it absolutely because like you mentioned before you know on his medical records that then they later f learned were lies there right. were these i think it was three separate coronary events in his life which basically what does that mean like a heart thing like his heart yeah. stopped or he had a heart yeah. attack and it turned out that they were all medication induced heart attacks and they were all suicide attempts. And so clearly, he, I mean, his wife and his friends were right to like get him help yeah. or to think he needed professional help because he did because he was clearly suffering from severe depression and, mm -hmm. and who knows what else, but like that's not, most people I think, you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what I was gonna say, but I feel like if you have multiple suicide attempts yeah. in your medical history that is then being covered up because again, the patriarchy, let's not embarrass the man. Yeah. But like, but there's, you know, that's, that is a cry for help every I'm, time. I'm sure he was freaked out because he's probably seen some of those mental institutions in 1950s and that was not a place he wanted to go. I don't know. I'm just, I like to play devil's advocate. I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Sure, and also he's a doctor, right? So the yes. idea that, like, the doctor who's meant to be the healer would yes. need help and someone to heal him was probably like unfathomable in his brain. Yeah. But anyway, we, I mean, we could go on and on about I just why love it. I just think that's very interesting. Yes. Because it is interesting, but it is also just like so sad because at the end yeah. of the day, this is a man who murdered his wife and attempted to murder at least one of his children. And who knows what the, what the God awful whole plan was. And the truth is the three, right. Uh, the three other, maybe he was going to burn the house down. Who the hell knows? Um, the three other kids, or the three kids did live. They don't tell you, I mean, in all the research, the kids are pretty protected. We're not really sure where they went. It is, it is thought that they went to Lillian's sister. I believe that's right. And, but yeah, we can't, you can't really look them up or see how they're doing or whatnot. And probably just 
good for them. It's fine. They've, they've suffered their own traumatic experiences, but it, I would have been interested to know, like, where are they now? Um, then the house went up for, uh, let's see, Emily and Julian Enriquez purchased the house and used it for storage, but they never slept there. Uh, that basically right after that happened because it went, went up for auction. In 1994, Rudy Enriquez, which is uh, Julian and Emily's son, uh, a retired music manager, he uh, inherited the house, and he, but he would not live there. He would pop in to feed his two cats. Apparently, he had two outdoor cats around there, but he did not live there. When he was interviewed by the LA Times in 2009, um, he says, I don't know if I want, would want to live there or even stay there. The LA Times asked, do you think there are ghosts there? Is that why you won't stay there? And he said, and I quote, tell people to stay, say their prayers every morning and it will be okay. I was like, what? Sorry, you're going to get into the haunted stuff, but I just had to say that. In 2015, Rudy died and there was no heir, so it went to public auction. Um, the house sold in, 20, in July 2016 for $2.3 million as a probate sale. All of the fa families, like all of their belongings, were um, were cleaned out. But that, but but had been there for years since 2016. But I'm gonna again, I'm gonna let you talk about that. Um, yes. So this is very interesting to me. Did you guys know in California there's a civil code? Code. It's called the three year three year rule for murder houses. Realtors are legally obliged to tell buyers of violent death, like murder, only if the death occurs within three years of the date and offer made to purchase the home. Only, only three years. I'm going to be like, there is not enough sage to get rid of this <laughs> energy in this house. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Especially this house. Yeah. Would, so, Av, do you think you would ever buy or rent a place with a murder if it was, like, that cool? <laughs> well, I mean, part of me wants to think that, one, I have a fascination with things like this so that there would be a part of that that would actually appeal to me. But I also don't want to live in a haunted house where I'm, like, terrorized all the time. Yeah. But I will say, when my family first moved to Kansas from Arizona... I, we found out, which I guess my dad knew all along because they had to disclose this stuff. It wasn't murder, but somebody had passed away in the downstairs bedroom that my dad uses as his office. And I remember finding that out and just being like, oh, that would be freaky as a kid. Oh my God. And you know, like, but also there was morbid little Aaron that's like, never go to a second location. And dad, show me where the dead person was in the house. <laughs> um, and so I, part of me is like, I don't know that I would let it deter me from buying a house. Yeah. But I also would definitely consider it as a negative. Yeah. And then when it comes to this house, when I get into the lore of the house itself, because it is a very important character, I would tell you that I would not purchase this house. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for myself, I really feel like you can bring good energy into places, but I don't know if something very sinister happened, who knows, but I did have, and I may, have I told the story about like the, uh, my, my, my ghost experience? No. Oh my God. Okay. So, well, I, I don't want this to get too long, but 
I worked in this underground uh, pub, martini bar and pub during college. And it was in this old part of town. It was called Fairhaven in Bellingham, Washington. So it's like this old area where they built all the railroads and kind of stopped right there for some reason. They're not really, and apparently people had died underground and all sorts of things. Who knows? This, who knows the stories? But, and I do not know any of this, but like apparently there had been some, some one of the women who worked there, she's like, oh yeah, there's a little, little boy who runs around. He's just trying to have fun and this and that. But I did not find that out until later when it was Monday night. It was a $5 burger and brew and also karaoke. And these two ladies would come in at, right as we, as we opened and would get martinis. They would get um, Cosmopolitan. Ugh. Anyways, so they were like, you know, they were kind of like Stevie Nixie-ish slash trailer slash I mean, I don't want to put anybody down, but it's like this, the look you got to think of that gets just a little overweight, but like a very, like lots of jewels and like turquoise jewelry. And listen, I love turquoise jewelry. Like anyway, I would have really totally loved to oh, have yeah. had a cosmopolitan with them. Exactly. They had the like, long, tell me your stories. They did. They looked like Stevie Nicks and they were singing and they would always sing the same things. One woman would always sing black velvet and that little boy's smile every yeah. god damn time, which I like that song. But after that, I was like, <laughs> can't listen to it. But anyways. So I go up and I had a really ornery bartender and I was like two martinis. She hated making martinis. And so she was a bitch to me the whole time. And I'm sitting in the area. They have um, lined it off. So it's only the servers can go into. And just, so you know, these are the only two people in the bar. There's one guy standing closer to the stage, but like 30 feet away. And so I put the martinis on my little um, tray and I'm, I put it over here and I, get yelled at by the bartender for a little bit because she's like, get them to get something else next time. I was like, okay. And all of a sudden I felt someone push my hand over and the glasses went and, and like crashed on the ground. Like, and I was like, mother, I was angry. I turned around like ready to pound somebody. And the the guy like 30 feet away heard the sound. And I looked at him. He's like, it wasn't me. I was like, okay, buddy. And so she had to make me new martinis and she was such a bitch about it and now that i've been a bartender for years i'm like it's not that hard also there's two people in the bar so like it was you've just had to rat. yeah so she makes them i finally get back give the ladies their drink and i make a joke because it's all i know how to do is i'm so i was like i'm so sorry it took so long a ghost knocked the knocked the martini glasses and the one woman goes i know i saw him <gasps> yeah she goes, don't worry. It's just a little boy. He's just trying to have fun. And I was like, ah. yeah, that's amazing. And I was like, fuck that shit. I am not. I said, I said, may the power of Christ compel you. Get away from me. No, I'm just kidding. But I was just like, at least while I'm working. <laughs> yes, leave me alone. And then another woman told me that there had been sightings of a little boy. But anyways, he was not, he didn't have bad energy though. He was like, he had good energy. He was just like a little sassy. He was just mischievous. And then, I mean, this is horrible, but I also had another experience in the bathrooms there. When I was going to the bathroom, it was the end of shift and everybody was gone. It was like nighttime, right? I, except for like the bouncer and a couple of the bartenders. See, this one actually freaks me out more. All of the sinks turned on. <gasps> oh, <laughs> yeah. How have you never told me this before? I don't know, probably because I'd bury it deep. And I, and I literally said, 
I said, I'm so sorry. I can't, I'm not going to, I don't do that. I can't do this. And then they turned off and I got the fuck out of the bathroom and it never happened. Nothing ever happened to me again. I worked there for another two years and nothing ever happened, but I really think you can say, nope, mm -mm, I'm not, I'm not into that. Like, I don't think there's anything beyond your will. If, if I, maybe I feel like who the hell knows, but if I feel like if I invited them, I'm like, interesting. What's your name? If something would have happened, but I was like, mm -mm, I can't handle this. Nope. Mm -mm. So yeah, sorry. Just Back to, up. to derail us. No, that is amazing because the second half of our story is really a ghost story, so to speak. So that's fascinating as somebody who has always been fascinated with true crime horror movies like from the age of nine I'm pretty sure my favorite movie was Jaws so I'm like horror movies that could happen you know like how morbid can you get like horror movies that are possible not that sharks actually go around hunting people but you could could get eaten by a shark you know it's possible but I have known so many people and now I can add you to this list who have had legitimate encounters with spirits and ghosts and it's something that I've always been so fascinated by because I have never had anything like that. And I feel like I'm the kind of person that would super like invite that in if that was something that was around me that I would, even without realizing it, I'd be like, yeah, let's do this. Show me what you got, little boy. Oh I've juggled these martini glasses, but I've known several people, several people. My husband is one of them, has had an experience where they saw something either like a spirit or a ghost, but not necessarily like friendly, not necessarily friendly. Um, my husband swears he saw something like a demon in this old mansion in Connecticut where he, his dad was living when he, when he was visiting. And it was, he said it was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to him. And I was like, were there drugs involved? And he was like, no, I was literally just like downstairs in this creepy house. And I saw this terrifying thing, my whole body, like hair standing up, goosebumps, like ter sheer terror and fear. And he just ran, but he was like, no, I was not doing drugs or anything, you know, cause normally I'd be like, was there, you know, not just for my husband, but anyone like, were you fucked up on something? And that's why you thought you saw, a, a, I don't know, the ghost of an old man telling you like, how's it going today, lady? Or so, I don't know, but this house, has become something of a legend here in Los Angeles, which has a lot of famous murders. LA is one of those places like New York City, all of Canada, most of the Pacific Northwest. It's just like known for horrific murders, murderers, things that happen in Los Angeles, like off the top of my head, you know, you've got like Black Dahlia, You've got like the Hillside Strangler. You've got the East, the East River, or sorry, the Golden State Killer. The, the guy that everyone in uh, Boyle Heights beat the shit out of. Um, oh. He was like the, he was some kind of a serial rapist, but also horrible. And so this story really like, it like falls right in line. You've got Charles Manson. I mean, we could go on and on and on. We could make a whole new podcast just about Los Angeles murders. I'm sure. But this house, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sure it exists too. But this house really does um, kind of fall at the top. And part of that is, like you mentioned, after the event occurred, about one year later, when the house was put up for auction and um, the Enriquez family bought it, they never moved in right? Like you mentioned, they said they used it for storage. 
They passed away, it went on to their son, Rudy. He also used it for storage, but never moved in. So by all accounts from 1959 until today, nobody has lived in that house. Nobody. Right. But the plan was for whoever bought it, they were going to, right? Yeah. So apparently just to kind of start at the end and then work our way back. In 2016, after Rudy passed away and the house, which was purchased for $2.29 million, which let's be real, you guys. I don't know all that much about real estate, but Los Angeles, legit mansion with like a, a ballroom. That's oh, yeah. not, that's not $2 million. We're getting like, close to 10 my, at least. Yeah. Like my apartment, if I wanted to purchase it would probably be like $1.8 million. It's a one bedroom <laughs> apartment with crappy carpet. So like, just to put it in perspective, like there is the fact that the house had the horrific event that it had is a big part of why it, it has remained empty one and then this couple bought it spent three years renovating it and then abruptly in 2019 stopped renovations and put it up for sale again oh really no one knows why. oh yeah no one knows why but they had been renovating it they had finally cleared the house out which is a big part of it the lore here but um ripped out all the flooring and some of the walls and done some stuff to it and then abruptly three years later they were like on the market fixer upper hard cash offers only so like you got to pay us up front but we would take it. And they put it up for like $3.3 million. Still cheap as balls. So here is some of what people, people who are interested in haunted houses, people like me who are just fascinated by, you know, strange, awful things, ghost hunters of the world, you know, there's like entire networks developed to these kinds of interests. So as we mentioned, nobody, has lived in the house since 1959. But there are several curious trespassers was the phrase I read on the internet. And I was like, I'm gonna go with that. Curious trespassers. Right. Would basically attempt to either go into the house or at the very least, like go in and look in the windows and take souvenirs and all this stuff. So one of the things that people say up until literally the purchase of 2016, in 2016, that you could see if you managed to get onto the property and look in the windows. And I looked at pictures too. We should post all of the pictures, Vanya. Sure. We, yeah. So when you peek through the window, you could see a 1950s style television set, a fully decorated Christmas tree with several like perfectly untouched wrapped gifts underneath it. There was 1950s furniture that had, was clearly covered in an incredibly thick, layer of dust, but here's where it gets kind of strange. You can also apparently clearly see a Life magazine from May 9th, 1960. So that would have been after the event and a can of SpaghettiOs, which was not on the market until 1965. Now, seeing as the Enriquez family say that they never lived there, those don't seem like items that you put in storage, like a current magazine and, and food. So people were kind of like, what are those doing there? How did they end up there? Um, and of course, the Christmas tree and Christmas gifts were kind of contested by some people because the um, Perelsons were, were Jewish. So people are saying they wouldn't have had a Christmas tree they didn't celebrate Christmas. Now, we all know that's not necessarily true. There are lots of people who maybe celebrate both Christmas and Hanukkah, um, but that's the argument. So then there's this crazy rumor that a family had rented out the house right after the murder-suicide took place, but had never been told what happened there. And then somehow on the anniversary 
of the murder, so it would have been December 6th of 1960, found out and fled the house, leaving all of their belongings behind, including their Christmas tree and Christmas presents. However, there is no record anywhere that says that anyone has ever lived in that house since the Perelson family, ever. It's never been rented out legally. Um, it became kind of an interesting place, like transients would go there. Apparently like sex workers were seen coming in and out where the neighborhood actually kind of took it upon themselves to be like, okay, no, no, like we're not this haunted house sideshow thing. And so they kind of became like the watchers of it. They were really, really aware. They installed an alarm system. The neighborhood actually decided to put in an alarm system to keep people from going on the property. And one of the paranormal things that apparently goes on there is that for whatever reason, the alarm, the burglar alarm there goes off at random times all day, every day. It's sometime it'll go off. Now I'm going to say as uh, somebody who does love like creepy shit, but it is also pretty practical. I'm like, that's probably someone trying to get on the property and look in the window. Yeah. It sounds like a but, lot of people. Yeah. But there's also been stories of um, somebody who was trying to uh, like trespass and enter the property was bitten, uh, bitten by a black widow spider on their way in. Another version said it was a brown recluse spider, but either way, a poisonous spider bit them. Mm -hmm. um, many people who have visited the mansion describe a general sense of like unease, a feeling of being watched and followed even after they've left the property. Now, here's something that I will just fully admit to. Remember, I gave my sister-in-law, Jenny, a shout out for making me aware of the story. Well, I was made aware of it because we totally went to the house. Mm -hmm. So it was nighttime and it is, it is pretty well like blocked off. We did not go on the property, but we hopped out of the car and like stood on the street, you know, kind of looked and you definitely, it's creepy. It's creepy. And, but one of the creepiest things is the neighbors, you know, like all of a sudden you realize like you do feel like you're being watched because neighbors are coming out of their homes and they're like, we see you get the hell out of here. So yeah. part of me feels like that sense of unease, like you're being watched or you're being sure. followed. It's actually the neighborhood people being like, yeah, we see you. Don't you dare go up there. We'll call the cops. Like this is not, it's not games on a playground go the hell home but I mean I remember being like "Ooh, yeah I'm getting a weird vibe but I didn't know yeah. if it was because I was getting a weird vibe from the neighbors or from the actual house I mean can you imagine having like such expensive property and having to deal with people coming to see a house that people think are like is like a murder you know house oh yeah I mean it's that's like, some it's, bullshit I'd be like that's so annoying it's so annoying so I get it. I mean, go neighbors. You keep that watch up. You scare the crap out of all of us assholes that come try to look at a murder house. Cause you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of a shitty thing to do. Like, I mean, it's, it's a more, it's a fascination. It's a yeah, curiosity, but I also get that like people do live there and they're like, go the hell away. Yeah. So also ghost hunters claim who people who would like go to the house in the, all the wee hours and like the wee hours of the morning time. So right around the time the oh, sure. event occurred, people have claimed to hear a woman calling out no and then screaming like frantically and as loud as you can imagine and then just dead silence. People claim to have seen a woman looking at them from the window um, upstairs, like just staring at them and then vanishing. And it's also the house that season one of American Horror Story is based off of. Right. Is it really? It is. So not the same house. I'm pretty sure that's, they didn't actually film the show. Right. In, no. In this house. But I guess the idea for season one was loosely based off of this. 
And so, so it's just fascinating because it really is, I don't know, there is something about a home that's that beautiful being left completely, yeah. completely the same. It's not just that nobody ever moved in, but nobody ever cleared it out. So from 1959 until 2016. Yeah, that's the creepy part. All of the shit was just there. And it was like this yeah. perfect time capsule of this horrible event but then also some unexplained oddities, which probably is completely explained away by like one day they came over to put some stuff in storage and had been reading that Life magazine. Of course. And left it behind. And then the SpaghettiOs, maybe they had gone grocery shopping or something and like yeah. left the bag and then went home and forgot it there. You know, it can all be, I think, explained. Yeah, for but sure. The, but the fascination I get. Because yeah. I mean, when I went there was no longer any furniture because I've only lived in LA since 2018, but the house had recently like been purchased and was being renovated, but there was still like definitely creepy vibes there. Yeah, I know. Well, and I'm like the realist where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to let myself get scared about that. But like, because I mean, not to be morose, but like bad shit happens all the time everywhere. So like the fact that people know about it, it's like the lore continues in people's heads and, you know, it's easy to scare yourself and like, you know, so yes. yes, but it is scary. I mean, I don't like that. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But there is something also, I think a little bit odd about this absolutely gorgeous, like you mentioned, like famous architect, huge, beautiful house. How did it just sit there? It's a damn shame. And it's basically a damn shame. Right. And like crumble into, you know, and become completely uninhabitable yeah. without completely knocking the inside out. I don't know. To me, it's a fascinating story. And we yeah. were just talking about like things close to home, you know, yeah, being scary. Mostly I wanted somehow to convince Vanya to go on a physically dis like socially responsible distance field trip with me. <laughs> we didn't make that happen in time, but that's okay. I'm still going to make you come with me sometime. I'll go. I'll walk with you. I don't we'll get some wine coolers. We'll get some wine coolers and we'll just walk over. I Let's think it's the car. I think it's the cars that like alert them to look yeah. lose, if you will. Yeah, but people go a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like whenever I looked anything up, it's like it's almost on like a. Oh, another fun fact is that Nebutal Nebutal killed mm -hmm. Judy Garland, and also Marilyn Monroe. All right. Just a side note. So that's that crazy sleep aid. Yeah, I think they don't really prescribe that at all because I think it all can right. kill you pretty pretty easily. Well, it sounds like, especially if you mix it with anything else, because that's right. what this that's what that's what Doctor Harold did. Right. You know, it was like codeine and nembutal or nembutal. Nembutal, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember who I was thinking about. Um, Phil Hartman. I wonder if that house is haunted. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, similar event. Mm -hmm. Murder suicides are, I don't know, that's so strange. Yeah. It's one of those things that you really, I truly can't wrap my brain around it. Rather yeah. than like the person who commits the act clearly was in need of some serious mental help or it's just sure. like the worst motherfucking person ever. Yeah, for sure. Or those don't have to be mutually exclusive. It can be both. It can be both. And that might have been the both. Right. Like it's like the ego mixed with all of that. You know, yeah, the it's ego just, gets too big. So true, but yeah, so that's that's our story this week. Los Feliz Murder House Mansion. I mean, I'm taking Yvonne. We'll wait until the quarantine is lifted because I think it would be more fun for us to go 
together legitimately, not like 15 feet away from each other in the presence of a haunted mansion. Yeah. Um, but I'll take you. We'll go wander over there. Apparently, another weird fun fact is that on 90210, the house that Donna lived in, they used like one of the other houses from that street. So weird. it's like that poor street. They're on all the tour buses routes. Oh, funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Guys, thank you for listening to this week's rom crime. Thank you. Wrong